There is an unseen hand to me that leads Welcome to the Unseen Hand Podcast, featuring the pulpit ministry of missionary evangelist Ronnie Brown. Listen in as Brother Ronnie shares the truth of the Bible and how God's unseen hand can lead and guide your life with each and every verse. This hand still leads me as I go. But if you have your Bibles, Jonah chapter number four, we'll start reading in verse one. Let's all stand out of respect and reverence for God's holy word. Thank God I've got his revelation. I don't have to wonder and guess at what God says, but I've got his word. Jonah chapter number four and verse one. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. What displeased him? God spared Nineveh. God didn't rain down fire and brimstone like he did on Sodom and Gomorrah. He spared it. But, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, I, for I knew that thou art gracious, a gracious God and merciful, slow in anger, great in kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. Therefore now, O Lord, take I beseech thee my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Then said the Lord, Doest thou well to be angry? So Jonah went out from the city. Can you see him with his pooch lip? Arms crossed, stomping like a three-year-old, and sat uh, on the east side of the city, and there made him a booth and sat under it in the shadow till till he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord God prepared a gourd and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. And so Jonah was exceeding glad. Well, thank God something made him happy. Exceeding glad for the gourd. But God, here's our phrase. You remember we've been preaching on but God. But God prepared a worm. When the morning arose the next day and it smote the gourd that it withered. And it came to pass when the sun did arise that God prepared a vehement east wind. And the sun beat upon the head of Jonah uh, that he fainted. And he wished in himself to die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. And God said to Jonah, Doest thou well to be angry for the gourd? And he said, I do well to be angry even unto death. Then said the Lord, Thou hast had pity on the gourd. For the which thou hast not labored, neither madest it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should I not spare Nineveh, that great city wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand, and also much cattle. You can be seated. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. And we've been talking about how that but God. Every instance, a lot of instances from the Old Testament, but God. Well, here we want to see how God interrupts our comforts. Oh, it's been fun up to now. (laughs) Brother Ronnie, you've helped us with how God butts into a lot of things and helped us out. But this one's a rather convicting message, I have to say. God did some working in my heart. 
on this message, but God interrupts our comforts. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for mercy. Mercy that is ever super abounding toward us. Mercy enough to forgive my blasphemy, my adultery, my fornication, my drunkenness, my wickedness, and to give me eternal life. What great mercies you have upon us. And God, we are eternally grateful for those mercies. Now, Father, I pray as we come to your word, I pray that you'd strip back the calluses off of our hearts. God, I pray that your word would have free course in our hearts. It should shine the light on on, on our real true concerns of our heart. What we're really concerned about in our lives. Father, I just pray you'd take your word and it'd go forth and accomplish the goal of which you set forth to do. God, I pray you'd save sinners. God, I pray you'd reveal sin in hearts. God, I pray you'd help folks this morning. God, I ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. As citizens living in one of the wealthiest nations in the world, we do not realize the comforts that we take for granted every day. Robert Hilborn gives us a little mental exercise to go through to help us see these comforts. One of these things we can do is, first of all, take out all the furniture in your home except one table and a few chairs. Mentally go through this. Take all the furniture out, all the beds, all the couches, the entertainment center, the TV, the stereo. Take them all and throw them in the front yard. Leave a table and a few chairs. Uh, for the next one, we can uh, take away all of your clothing except for your oldest suit, shirt, or blouse and pair of pants. He didn't say pair of pants, but I don't like the scene without a pair. Everybody have a pair of pants on here or a skirt and, and a blouse and a shirt and the old suit. Leave only one pair of shoes, your shoddiest pair. Empty the pantry and the refrigerator except for a small bag of flour, some sugar and salt. A few potatoes, some onions and a dish of dried beans. Dismantle the bathroom, shut off the running water, remove all the electrical wiring in the house. Take away the house itself, move the family into the tool shed. Place the house in a shanty downtown. Cancel all subscriptions to newspapers, magazines, book clubs. This is no great loss because now you can't read anyway. Uh, uh, let's leave only one radio for uh, the whole shanty town. Move the nearest hospital or clinic 10 miles away uh, and put a, a midwife in charge instead of a doctor. Throw away your bank books, stock certificates, pension plans, insurance policies. Leave the family a cash hoard of $10. Give the head of the family a few acres to cultivate on which he must raise a few hundred dollars cash crops, of which one-third will go to the landlord, one-tenth of the money to the lenders. Lop off, last of all, lop off 25 years of your life expectancy. We are a blessed people. And we take for granted so many comforts in our lives. The little exercise may give us, that we just went through, may give us some insight into what's happening in our text to, to Jonah. Jonah, where the comforts of his life were stripped away one by one to really reveal the concerns 
of his heart. That's what God seems to be doing. He seems to be taking away the comforts from Jonah's life one by one so that he might reveal to Jonah the true concern of his heart. What is most important to Jonah. You see, we all as servants of God need to be warned by three truths in this scene in the life of Jonah that God oftentimes strips away our comforts to show us the reality of our true concerns. Our true concerns. I want you to notice, uh, first of all, that God interrupts our comforts by corrupting the comfort of our covering. By corrupting the comfort of our covering. You know the background of Jonah, don't you? The old story, Jonah and the whale. We've heard it since we were in Sunday school. God told Jonah to go to Nineveh. Jonah to go to Nineveh and to preach against them. And to tell them judgment's coming. Well, Jonah didn't see it that way. And went in the opposite direction to Tarshish. God sent a great storm. They threw him overboard. He went into the belly of the whale. And after an incident like that, he's willing to do anything God tells him. So he, uh, he's dumped out on the shore and makes a beeline to Nineveh and does what God uh, told him to do. Yes, he went. Yes, he preached. He preached vehemently, hard. But, God, but Jonah's worst fear came to pass in the city. And what was his worst fear? That it was spared. That was Jonah's worst fear. Going into this whole thing that God would spare the city. And, and, and in a rage, he set out and stomped out of town and prayed one of those prayers that hopefully later on he regretted. He prayed, I knew you would do this, God. I knew you'd be merciful. And he was mad about it. Oh, we sit in here and sing how we praise God for His mercy Jonah was mad about it. He was upset that God had given mercy and seemed to be waiting on the outside of the city. If you see in verse 5, the latter part, he went out and sat under a little booth he made that he might see what would become of the city. He was hoping God would change his mind. He was hoping that God would say, you know what, Jonah's right, and just rain down fire and brimstone all over that city. But God had something else in, in mind. Spurgeon called it Jonah's object lesson. I like teachers that give object lessons. I'm not a good object lesson kind of guy. But I've been around preaching. I, I remember one preacher. He been all, brought in all kinds, of, uh, all kinds of candy bars. He brought in a zero and said, I had to realize I was a zero to get saved. And uh, all kind of, I used to snicker at God's word. He used all kinds of candy bars. Uh, I'm not a good object lesson, but God is. God is good at object lessons. And he begins to relate to Jonah an object lesson in this gourd, in this covering of a gourd. I want you to notice some things uh, about this covering. First of all, I want you to notice the origin of this covering. Look at verse 6. And the Lord prepared, the Lord God prepared a gourd and made it come up over Jonah. Now remember, uh, he's mad at God. Can you see him now? Sitting under that, uh, sitting under that makeshift booth with his arms folded up like a three-year-old. And he's pout, he's got his lip all pooched out. And he's, he's, uh, he's uh, giving it to God in his prayer. He said, I can't believe that God would spare them. I'm mad as I'll get out. 
And he's sitting out there and he's just waiting for this city to burn up. And you know what God does? God sends him a gourd. God sends this plant. I believe it grew miraculously. I believe it grew overnight over his head. It's what it says here in the Scriptures that God prepared a gourd and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shadow over his head. God made this gourd come up and just shadow over his head because and yet despite Jonah's anger at God, despite his being mad at God and disagreeing with God, yet God graciously provided a gourd to cover his head. He mercifully provided a blessing. This gourd leaf covered his head. They were rather large leaves. And it come and shielded his head, his mind, his, uh, his body from the beating sun. You see, uh, this blessing, it came straight from the hand of God. God Himself, it said in the Word, God Himself, He prepared a whale and now He's preparing a, a gourd. To protect him. And look, you see, that's the origin. It came from God. We need to realize that all our blessings, I don't care how hard you work, what kind of money you get, it is a blessing from God. All the comforts that you enjoy, like that running water and that TV and that cable and and that couch that you so uh, sit on and love and and waller around on that couch and that car you drive, all of these are blessings from God's hand. They are comforts that God has given us straight from His hand. The origin of the covering and the operation of the covering. Have you ever been around a a sunburnt person? Oh man, Allison went to the tanning bed. I'll tell you this, she's not here. Allison went to the tanning bed the other day and overdid it. And boy, she was burnt. Oh man, she was burnt. Scalded by that tanning bed. And that whole, I think it was a Saturday, Carrie, that whole Saturday that she was recovering from that. Oh, you didn't even want to talk to her, man. She just snapped at you. She didn't feel good. Oh, she was burnt all over. It puts you in. Talk about somebody being in an irritated mood. You just let a person get sunburnt real good. i tell you what, I protect my skin. I don't want to get sunburned because Carrie can tell you, I am a baby when it comes to a sunburn. I hate them. Oh, I hate a sunburn. Makes me so irritable. Well, here, God is providing a shade. Uh, uh, God sent this blessing to a man that was already mad. And what did God say? To, to, that, he might, see, that he might to deliver him from his grief. Look at verse 6. And it came up over Jonah that it might be a shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. You see, God was doing, God had given this gourd to calm him down. <laughs> Jonah's already mad. He's stomping out of the city, poots his lips out, arms folded, and he's mad at God. And what does God do? God graciously provides a way for him to calm down. God gives him something that, that would cause his grief to go away, to cause him to give him a second to, uh, uh, to, to just calm himself down and for Jonah to redirect his thinking concerning these folks in Nineveh. God's given him a chance to rethink what he's been saying by this gourd. So that's the operation. That's why God gave it, to help him with his grief. And then finally, the outcome of the govern, uh, the, the gourd, the covering that God gave him. He went, uh, went from being irate to idolatrous. Look at what the latter part of verse 6 said. Remember how mad he was? Look at the latter part of verse 6. 
So Jonah was exceeding glad of the gourd. <laughs> Jonah got all excited about this gourd that was over his head. He went from being irate to being idolatrous. He didn't thank God for the gourd. He, thanked the, he just thanked the gourd himself. He just loved and worshipped that gourd. He became preoccupied with the blessings and not the blesser. You see, this is what idolatry is. Warren Wiersbe said, anything that we trust other than the Lord becomes our God. And therefore, this gourd, however scrawny it looked, however strange it might seem to you, became Jonah's God. He was in love with the gourd, not the Lord. <laughs> he, had, he had this gourd as his God. Oh, our nation is, a, is to a great extent worshipers of the blessings of prosperity and plenty and yet utterly rejects the great God Jehovah behind these blessings. Oh, listen, you didn't have to ride in an armored car to get here this morning. You didn't have to hide behind the trees uh, uh, to escape the, 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 uh, the, those that would oppose this religion's gunshots. You didn't have to look very far in the cabinet to find something to eat this morning. You didn't have to dig too deep in your... Well, some of you may have dug pretty deep in your closet. But some of you... Uh, listen, you didn't have to... Yeah, found something to wear. You couldn't say that about 80% of this world. What blessings God has given us. And what we have become is worshipers of the blessings, not the blesser. So many times we, we ourselves, even as strange as it looked, for a man to work, sit down and worship a gourd, we do the exact same things in our lives. We take advantage of those comforts. We, we love our comforts. We adore our comforts instead of adoring the God that gives them to us. You see, we see that the God interrupts our comforts by corrupting. What did God do to this thing? He put a worm in it. He killed this thing. He got rid of this covering. He put a worm. And look at verse uh, 7. But God prepared a worm in the morning, rose up the next day, and it smote the gourd, and it withered. Just as fast as it come up, God put a worm in it and took it away. Well, I'll tell you what, there's some truth in that. And I think we'll find a little bit further on here that God has a way of putting a worm in our gourds. Uh, has a way of knocking down our gods, our idols that we've set up in our lives, contrary to God. You see, not only does God interrupt our comforts by corrupting the comfort of our covering, but also cutting out the comfort of our conditions. Cutting out the comfort of our conditions. Once the covering that, that God had blessed Jonah with was taken off, he was exposed to the elements. This gourd just withers up and dies because of this worm. And, and now, and then God, He begins to, uh, begins to change the conditions. He begins to, no pun intended, God began to turn up the heat a little bit. God began to turn up the heat on Jonah and begin to show him what his idolatry, begin to show him what his real concerns were for. Remember, he was preoccupied with that gourd a minute ago, and now that gourd's gone. We see the cutting out of comfort of our conditions. First of all, we see favorable conditions were cut off. Look at verse 8. And it came to pass when the sun did rise, God prepared a vehement east wind. You see, God took those favorable conditions. Up until this point, Jonah had enjoyed relatively nice, comfortable conditions, didn't he? Didn't hear anything about a vehement wind. 
if, if, if God mentions it in His Word, that must be a changing condition. What we can say uh, before this point, in the early part of chapter 4, that the wind wasn't blowing vehemently. Maybe He had a nice soft breeze blowing over that desert, blowing over them hills, didn't kick up a whole lot of sand. Maybe it was just enough to lend a little bit of refreshing air. God all of a sudden comes in and changes these favorable conditions and cuts them off. God turned that soft breeze of the Arabian desert into a violent, vehement wind. That word vehement means burning, cutting, dry, scorching winds. The Arabians called this uh, a circo. circo. It was a hot, oppressive wind filled with dust blowing across the desert that can raise the temperature of the desert as much as 20 degrees and could last from three to seven days. God took that favorable wind and said, I'm putting an end to this. I'm going to take away those favorable conditions and I'm not only going to kill that gourd that was covering, but I'm going to take those favorable conditions and cut them off and I'm going to send a vehement wind, a wind that will scorch, a wind that will burn, And He will use that wind to reveal the true concerns. Oh, listen, God can do that so much in our lives, can He? In a turn of a dime, in a phone call's notice, in a moment in time, God can change the conditions that we've grown accustomed to, that we've grown comfortable in, and all of a sudden, change our lives forever. Those favorable conditions were cut off. But notice also, The fortifying conditions were cut off. Notice what it said in verse 8. And the sun beat upon the head of Jonah. What's he talking about there? Well, the fortifying or protecting conditions was that old gourd. Well, that gourd is no more. God put a worm in it. Took it away. And now he has become vulnerable to the sun. Those fortifying conditions, those protections, those coverings by the gracious provision of God are now gone. Now he's exposed to the driving, debilitating uh, heat of the sun. You see, the protection was removed. For long, God had provided a protection by that gourd. His hand had protected him from the harsh rays of the sun, from the... From the uh, bone-washing, hot desert sun. He had, he had protected him from that. And, and, but God's divine protection now was removed. God had removed that which had guarded his life. You see, God can, God can remove His hand of divine protection from our lives as well. Uh, listen, you, you, you listen to a lot of folks and they'll tell you, if you serve God, if you... Trust God. If you follow God, then everything's going to be hunky-dory. And I do agree that if you'll sow to the Spirit, if you'll sow a godly seed, God's seed will come up. That's the rule of, 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 of planting and reaping. But the fact of the matter is that God can often send a contrary wind in our lives and remove comforts that we have taken for granted. These comforts that we have grown accustomed to. Yes, when your God is a gourd and not the Lord, He'll do it. He'll take them away. When your God is a gourd and not the Lord, you can expect God to change the conditions. God's going to do what He's got to do to get your attention. 
God's going to take away what He has to take away to get your attention. God will, God will intervene in our, in our lives. Hebrews 12, 5 and 6, My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked. For whom the Lord loveth, He chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom He receiveth. Revelation 3, 19, For as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous therefore and repent. You see, Jonah's got a bad spirit in him. Jonah's got a negative spirit in him about those people. Jonah's got his focus all out of whack. He's got his uh, attention on the wrong thing. God's trying to reveal that to him. I heard one preacher uh, 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 entitle his message on this same text, A census, like the census taker comes by and checks off all the things, a census of his senses. His senses, his hearing, his ears, his eyes. You see, uh, God, He said that Jonah was suffering from stinking thinking. (laughs) He's got a bad attitude when it comes to God's doings. What God was doing in in Nineveh, He had a bad attitude about it. And so God, a lot, boy, doesn't, doesn't doesn't it take God a lot of times, a lot of things to reveal our bad attitudes? Reveal our bad attitudes? Oh, listen. When I was preaching in them jails and the missions so much and, and, and I got a bad attitude about some things. I got a bad attitude about the God I was serving. And, and God has to peel some things back and peel some peace back and peel some, uh, some easiness and comforts away to show me my rotten attitude. He's done it to me before. He so easily can do that in our lives. But God stripped away those. He cut off those favorable conditions. He cut off those fortifying conditions. He also cut off those fulfilling conditions as well. Look at what it said in verse 8. That sun beating on his head, like a little latter part. And that he fainted, and he wished in himself to die, and said, it is better for me to die than to live. Now, now Jonah's, that don't sound familiar, because Jonah said it twice in this chapter. Dude had a death wish. <laughs> he wanted to die. I, I think the first time he said it early on in the chapter... He was saying it merely out of frustration. He said, I'd rather die than to see my reputation smeared in front of all these heathen. You see, Jonah's main concern was his reputation. Realize that? Jonah marches through the city and said, in 40 days, judgment's going to come. In 40 days, judgment's going to come. You picture what Jonah looked like. Had acid in that whale's body, turned him all white. He had white, white, white hair. He looked crazy. He had seaweed hanging all over him. And he's coming in there saying, Judgment's coming. And walks out of the city. Everybody gets in an uproar. Everybody repents and makes things right with the Lord. And then nothing happens. You see, what does it say about a true prophet of God? Remember what the Bible said about a true prophet? That everything they say shall come to pass. And then what the Deuteronomy says? The prophet makes a prophecy and it doesn't come to pass. He's a false prophet. Jonah's saying judgment's coming in 40 days and it doesn't come. And he's upset about his reputation. He's upset about his standing as a prophet. And when this was all the time God's business, was all the time God was doing something. But I think here, when he said it here, he was saying it in despair. His conditions of dehydration burning eyes, parched and cracked cracked lips, scorched skin. He just despaired of life. Jonah's life had become centered around a gourd and when the gourd was taken away, then his life came crashing down 
like a stack of cards. When God took away one blessing, that door, that was the whole catalyst in this whole thing. When God took away that door, put that worm in it, his whole life became crumbling like a stack of cards. Ray Comfort, one of my favorite preachers, tells a story of when uh, he was a young preacher and uh, he had several small children and uh, they didn't have a television. And so Ray worked and saved and went out and he wanted to do something for his children. He wanted to please them, show him he loves them. And so he bought them a television. And all the kids jumped and skipped and oh, they were so excited about the television. But Ray began to notice something strange when he'd come home in the evening. Used to, the kids would meet him at the door. Used to, the kids would come and hug him and embrace him. And, Daddy, I'm so glad to see you and I love you. But they stopped doing that. And now when he came come into the door, he was greeted with a strange silence. Put the TV off and on in the distance. All the kids were sitting in front of the TV. All the kids began to, begin to worship the blessing and not the blesser. See, that's exactly what's happening with Jonah's life. He had been blessing. He had been, he had been blessed by this gourd. God gave him this gourd to protect him. God had done something in his life by this gourd. God's trying to mold him, shape him, change his attitude. And what does he do? He begins to worship the very gifts of God and not the God himself. You see, God has a way of interrupting our comforts to show us our true concern. That's what we're getting at here. That's where we're going. God has taken one comfort by one comfort by one comfort away to reveal Jonah's true concern. You see, in the first scene, we see that, uh, that God interrupts our comforts by corrupting our covering. You see, his concern in the first point was that for his own satisfaction. He loved that gourd. He wanted to be satisfied and covered by that gourd. Here, God can interrupt our comforts by cutting off uh, our conditions you see, his concern was his own security. He said, I'm going to die. You took away the only comfort. His, his concern wasn't about for Nineveh. What about for those people down in Nineveh? It was about for his own security, his own satisfaction. And then finally, we see God can interrupt our comforts by confronting the comfort of our cold-heartedness. Of our cold-heartedness. I met a lot of hard-headed people in my life. I've known a lot of hard-headed people in my day. By the way, just to stop the gossip, none of which are in this room. Well, maybe one or two, maybe three. That was supposed to have been a joke, but it failed. Amen. That's what I get for writing a joke down. That's, that's exactly what happened. But anyway, I've known a lot of hard-headed people in, in my day. But I tell you what, Jonah takes the cake. Jonah takes the cake for hard-headed people. Look, God's about brought him to a place of death. And God asked him again. God said to Jonah, verse 9, Doest thou well to be angry? Didn't he ask him that before, before all this happened? Before all these comforts were stripped away, God said, now, Jonah, do you really have the right attitude about this whole thing? Jonah, are you sure you're right about the way you feel about Nineveh? Look at what he said in verse 9. He said, I do well to be angry. Man, you talk about a hard-headed person. Somebody that's hard to get through to. You see, he said, I do well to be angry even unto death. God, I am mad about Nineveh. I'm mad about this gourd. This is just not right. Boy, can't we be hard-headed a lot of times. God's trying to speak to us through situations, and we ball up our fists. Oh, well, listen, we're good Baptists. We won't do it around the preacher, around our wives. But we'll get in those times, and we're, we're wrestling with those problems. Why are you doing this to me, God? 
Instead of saying, instead of complaining about this, instead of listening for God to speak in the situation, instead of listening to God say, why do you feel this way? Why are you so upset? Or God's trying to get to the heart of the matter, trying to get to the true concern of our true nature and our true hearts. We're all the time shaking our fists saying, God, why did this happen? God, why did you do this? You see, we find the coldness of his heart. He still has a problem here. God reveal, uh, God interrupts our comforts by confronting the comforted uh, uh, cold-heartedness of our hearts. I'll tell you what, this is a cold-hearted man. Jonah here, if you'll notice in verse 5, notice the cold-heartedness of his withdrawal. Notice verse 5. So Jonah went out of the city, and sat in the east of the city, and there made him a booth and sat under it in the shadow till he might see what would become in the city. Jonah made himself a nice comfy spot. You see, he starts out, uh, he, storm, he storms out of the city with this, uh, with this displeasure. He didn't like what God had done. He, he told God in verse 2, I don't like what you're doing. I knew if I came here, you'd end up being merciful on these folks that ought to get your wrath, that ought to be taken out, that ought to be taken off the mat map and I knew God you'd be merciful I knew this would happen he is mad as a wet hen and look at his coldness Jonah put his back to Nineveh and withdrew to the desert in hopes God would change his mind he's actually sitting here in the desert waiting for God to change his mind and destroy the whole city and Jonah's saying I hope he does it if he does I got a front row seat to the, to the whole thing. He said, man, I'm going to be front and center stage when God tears that place apart. The cold-heartedness of his heart. God's heart was for that city. And no matter how heathen and wicked they were, no matter how idolatrous they were, God's heart was for that city. Look at Jonah turning his back on it. He became enamored with a gourd leaf. He became preoccupied with a leaf instead of all those folks down in that city. All those lives down in there that God had spared. In many respects, we have all turned our back on the lost in our community. You see, that's where I'm going. I believe sometimes God can strip back our comforts to show our co-heartedness to the main objective that He called us out of darkness into His marvelous light to do would be to glorify God by the saving of men's lives, by the going after of lost people. God is showing His cold-heartedness in here in the fact that He withdrew Himself. He turned His back on those folks. He became preoccupied with the gourd. You know, we, we have become indifferent in our hearts and lives to the Nineveh that surrounds us. We've become indifferent. Indifferent to it. We've turned our back on it and become preoccupied with our little gourd, our little four and no more, <laughs> our little group. And we've turned our back on our Nineveh. He's revealing this cold-heartedness, not only the cold-heartedness of his withdrawal, but the cold-heartedness of his waiting. <laughs> Jonah made his way out there. He's sitting there in a nice comfy place with that little gourd over his head, protecting him. He said, man, I got it made in the shade. <laughs> Jonah said, I got it made out here and I'm going to sit by and I'm going to watch what will happen. He hoped he would be 
the, the, uh, the, he hoped he would see the absolute destruction of that heavily populated city called Nineveh. He was waiting on bated breath for God to rain down fire and brimstone on that whole lot. And there he waited and waited and waited and waited. You know, are we waiting at Gethsemane Baptist Church for the destruction of the world? For the destruction of our community? For the destruction of folks' lives here and around us all? What are we waiting for? What are we waiting for? Listen, I've tried to have organized visitation every Thursday at 6.30 at this church since I've been here. I've had to miss some nights, some nights I couldn't do it. But we have tried to consistently go out at 6.30. And I simply thought that because people didn't come, they had things to do. They had places to go. They had jobs to work. But the more and more I realized, the more and more I realized that everybody's just staying where they are. Everybody's turned their back. Including me. Including my heart. I'd be a number one convicted in this sermon for my cold-heartedness, for my lackadaisical attitude towards the community around us. He wanted to watch as that whole city burned. And I wonder, on Van Diver Road, 68, uh, 68 Van Diver Road, as we sit in our church and settle down in our comfy little gourd leaf, are we watch, trying to sit back and watch as one by one God casts souls into hell? That's what's happening here in, in, in Jonah's cold-heartedness. We all snicker and smile about how he acted and pouted and turned his back on the city and sat on the sidelines hoping God would do something different. Are we much different? Have we not turned our back on the, on the Great Commission? Have we not turned our back on the things that God has called us as a church to do? This has revealed my cold and indifferent heart. How I've been indifferent to those folks that are dying in, uh, around me. How I've been indifferent to lost people. How I haven't had the great commission fervor that I ought to have. God forgive me, I'm just as bad as Jonah. I've been worshiping a gourd. I've been worshiping carpet. I've been worshiping pews. I've been worshiping buildings. I've been worshiping church members. I've been worshiping uh, those visitors cards of people that come in. And, st- and, wait, and, st- and just waiting on a hill for the world to die and go to hell. God forbid our hearts be that way. Cold-hearted heart. Cold-heartedness of His waiting. Cold-heartedness of His withdrawal. Cold-heartedness of His wrath. Look at verse 10. The Lord said, Thou hast had pity on the gourd, for the, for the which thou hast not labored, neither madest it grow, which came up in a night, and perished in a night. And should I not spare Nineveh, the great city wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand, and also much cattle? We can tell by the verse number 9 that God still hasn't uh, gotten through to Jonah. Verse 9, he's still mad about this. After all that God stripped away, after all that God took away, is God going to have to drive our church in the ground? Is God going to have to peel back every comfort we have known on this place for 30-something years to get our attention? 
You see, he's, gotten, he's not gotten through to Jonah. He's still upset about the gourd. He wanted God to spare the gourd and pour out his wrath on the city. Jonah, look at him. Look at, Jonah, look at yourself, we could say. One author wrote what this revealed uh, about Jonah in these final verses. He said his priorities were poison. His perspective was perverted. His goals were garbled. His values were vandalized. His affections were abstracted and awry. His reasoning was rotten and ruined. His compassion was crooked and crumbling. His sympathies were spoiled, shriveling, and shattered. Here it all came to the surface. That's why why I ain't no more to this verse. God left the big aha part out of it. Why? For us to go, "Uh aha, I see it now. God has taken away comforts to get our attention. To get our attention on what He sent us here to do. That's what He did in Jonah. You see, He's revealing to Jonah that His concern was for His own self. His own satisfaction. His own security. And not for the city that was before Him. A people that couldn't tell their left hand from their right hand. Many authors wonder about what that is. It's a Hebrew idiotism where it could be talking about children who don't know their right hand from their left hand. They don't know the way. Could be 120,000 children in that city. Or it could be people that cannot discern good from evil. The right hand is often associated with good. Left hand often associated in the Bible with evil. These people don't know good from evil. They don't know which way to take. They don't know which way to go. God said, you want me to spare this gourd and destroy the city? Jonah, wake up. Look at what you're asking me to do. Look at how how cold-hearted can you be? You see, I wonder what this says about our own cold hearts. Our own cold hearts in the areas of the things that God has called us to do. Now there are several layers of application in this message. God may strip our comforts to get uh, to get uh, uh, our mind's eye on the sin in our life. God may strip our comforts just to get our eyes on Him. But the application that God impressed upon my heart as your pastor this morning is the area of evangelism. We'll be talking about it tonight as well. But the area of really having a heart for folks. You know, our churches have become musical chairs. You realize that? Musical chairs. I, I, have, uh, I have fallen into the trap of hoping we'll have other folks come in from other churches and prefer this church over to that church instead of going out and catching fish. Instead of going out and seeking and saving the lost, I, I, I was trying to dress up the chairs a little bit. And so when they... When they Pass on through. When they come through in the little dance and going from church to church, maybe they'll stick. I've actually said that before. I hope they'll stick. I hope they'll stay. Instead of going out and seeking and saving the lost like they did in Acts chapter number 2, I've been depending on this and that in churches to help bring somebody in and play musical church chairs with everybody else. I've been, I've been waiting on a hillside for God to send uh, to, to increase my little gourd Instead of worrying about Nineveh, or the city where people can't tell their right hand from the left hand. I'm sure that we could all cry buckets of tears saying, 
Thank you, Lord, for your blessings on me. Anybody ever heard that song? Oh, my grandmother used to sing that song, washing dishes at the the sink. Thank you, Lord, for your blessings on me. But we are so enamored with the blessings that we worship the given instead of the giver. That's what happened to Jonah. He fell in that trap. He was worshiping a gourd instead of God. He was loving a gourd instead of the Lord. God forbid that happened to Gethsemane Baptist Church. God forbid that happened. Listen, let's rededicate ourselves to going out and seeking the saving, the lost. Seeking the saving, the lost. Not musical church chairs. Seeking and saving the lost. Oh God, let that be our endeavor and our desire and our longing of our heart. Now I'm going to tell you right now, I'll tell you, I'm, the main problem is me. The main problem is me. I'm, I am ill-equipped as a pastor. I know y'all called me in good faith. But uh, I am not organized. I, I've, I've had difficulty in being organized. Difficulty in, in the areas of leadership. I'm trying and striving. It's one of the reasons we're going through the book of Nehemiah. Is to help me in my leadership. But listen, we have got to stop waiting. We cannot sit on 68 Van Diver Road and wait on our heel while the world goes to hell around us. We have to go out. We have to find folks. We have to invite folks. I've been trying to, abiding my time, waiting, twiddling my thumbs. When am I going to be able to to teach this evangelism, teach everybody how to share their faith? I'm convinced I'm going to put a piece of paper in your hand and say, go knock on the door and say, please be our guest. Good grief, we can do something, can't we? We may not be able to go through all the different outlines and all the different testing and all the different uh, uh, education on how to win souls, how to lead people to Christ. Um, Praise God, we can go to somebody's door, knock on the door and say, hey, come to my church, man. Listen, come hear the gospel. We love you. We want you to be here. Listen to what God has to say. We can at least do that, can't we? We can at least knock on somebody's door for an hour and a half on a Thursday night, can't we? Oh, God, give us a heart back for Nineveh. Don't let us sit up on this hill. And I love our building. I love the heritage we got here. But don't let us sit down and bow down and worship to venerate our heritage and let this place die on the vine. And God put a worm right slam in the middle of our church and destroy it. If we get our focus on the wrong thing, if we got our focus somewhere where it shouldn't be, God will put a worm in it. God will put an end to it. He's done it in my life. He'll put a worm in it. He'll strip away our comforts to get our attention. God forbid our attention be drawn away and then rejoice and be glad. And go oh, he said Jonah was exceeding glad in his gourd while Nineveh lie there in ruin, while Nineveh lie there in need, in need of help, in need of instruction. Oh, God forbid. Let's all stand every head bowed and every eye closed as we begin to play a a song of invitation here. I thank you for bearing with us in these conditions and where we are. But listen, this is still the Word of God. This is still God's house. These are still God's people. We are still the church of the living God. And there are things we need to deal with. This But God series has helped me so much in my life. But I tell you, when I came across this one, that hurt, man. That hurt God smacked me in that hotel room and showed me my cold-hearted, calloused heart that I like to preach about the gospel and I like to shout about the gospel, but I, but I often, the doubts in my heart, does the gospel still work? The reason I have those doubts because I ain't been proving it lately. Prove that the gospel works for a change. Let's go out and put it to the test. You said this is the only way that man can be reconciled. Let's go out and see if we can't see somebody reconciled. Let's go out and see if we can't see somebody saved, somebody come in that don't know God. You'd be shocked to know 
how little these people know around in this area of the gospel of Jesus Christ, of the truth of God's word. Oh, let us not be derelict in that commission that God has given us. Don't be so cold-hearted. God will strip our comforts away to get our attention. I wonder what song are we singing? 349, trust and obey. There's no other way. Listen, it takes a lot of trust, and a lot of obedience to go out. And to go out, that's fine. Go ahead, Brother Kevin. To go out and to witness and share your faith. Let's trust Him. Let's obey Him. The Great Commission. You come as we begin to sing. I'm trusting to the unseen hand. We hope and pray that today's episode of the Unseen Hand podcast has been a help and blessing to you. For more information such as other podcasts, ministry helps, blog posts, previous sermons, or how to contact Brother Brown directly, just go to RonnieBrown.net. Join us next time for another message from Brother Ronnie on the Unseen Hand podcast. Until then, may God's unseen hand gently guide you on your journey home. The Unseen Hand.